When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome back to That's So Fringy Podcast. I'm Rick. I'm Kristen. And we are here again with our friend Vicki Joy Anderson. We're so excited to have you back, Vicki. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's so it's, I'm happy to be back. Thank you for having me back. And mm-hmm. um, I've been looking forward to this one. So have we. Mm-hmm. Kristen's been so excited about this one. We had such a great conversation <laughs> the first time. And uh, and I think we, we've mentioned on the podcast before, you were one of our first interviews that we that we ever did. And uh, so this is full circle for us. And we're just curious, now that we have you here in our hot mm-hmm. little hands, we're curious <laughs> what God is doing in your life now. Because you were, you were doing a lot of stuff with sleep paralysis. You wrote the book. We talked, you know, briefly about that. We got into some metaverse and some kingdom stuff, but um, where are you at nowadays? Where's God have you and what is he doing in your life today? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely been morphing. You know, I think Mm -hmm. it's been about a year and a half now uh, since I've been talking about the book and talking about the contents of the book. And let me tell you the growth in my own personal faith in, in writing this book. Sure. When, when I first wrote out the book proposal, so this is what you do in, in the real world of writing. You don't write a book and then mm-hmm. push it on publishers. You write a proposal. This is what I'd like to write about. And you don't want to come to a publisher with a published, like a ready to publish book because <laughs> they might have uh, a word count or they might have right. things that they, you don't want to end up having to mm-hmm. trash it and start over. So mm. I wrote this book proposal. And when LA came to me and said like, yeah, I'm going to publish it. I was like, can I even do this? Can I write this? And (laughs) I'm, I'm reading through my proposal, like chapter, like all the chapter summaries. And I'm like, can I even write this book? Like there was a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety. And then after I got over that first hump and I was kind of had the momentum going, uh, then it became, oh my goodness. What if the book doesn't live up to Mm what I think it should, right. What, what if I write this book and, you know, cause I was an English major, it's got really pretty constructed sentences and it's very fun and invigorating for people to read, but if it doesn't help anybody, hmm. it's of no value. And so the spirit has to be moving over this. Right. And then I had this horrible phase <clears throat> where I thought, what if LA reads the book and has a massive regret that he let this little novice idiot, you know, and (laughs) what if he changes his mind and the carpet gets pulled out from underneath me and then I have to be all this disappointment. So I went through Mm -hmm, all of mm -hmm. these stages of anxiety and um, doubt and self-doubt and all this stuff. So one of the things that was a real struggle for me is I was concerned because 
I didn't want to build on anyone else's foundation. I didn't, if something has already sure. out there in the ether about sleep paralysis, I don't need to write it. It's already out there. And mm -hmm. a lot of what's out there isn't true and it's very deceptive or it, it's very mm -hmm. much gaslighting the situation or uh, despiritualizing it. And I thought <clears throat> because the book was the result of a lot of prayer and fasting, like what should I write? What, what do I leave in? What, and tons got cut out of the book. The original was three times longer. And so mm -hmm. what I was really concerned about was that there was a few things that I put in there that if you put a gun to my head, I could not have proven it to you. There's not, mm -hmm. there's no peer reviewed evidence. There's no statistics. Mm -hmm. There's no case studies. I just knew that I knew that I knew mm -hmm that the Holy spirit was telling me, this is what you write. Mm -hmm. And so one of those things was the threshold covenant where I was comparing in chapter four, <clears throat> I was comparing these entities to vampires. They all, they all follow the vampire code. Mm -hmm. They're not allowed to cross the threshold unless you give them invitation. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't until I published the book and was on shows such as this where hosts were coming with really good questions mm -hmm. that I was sort of fleshing out the depth of that in real time. Mm. And as I'm being asked questions and the spirits literally like putting the answers in my mouth, I started to realize six months in nine months and a year and a half in that threshold covenant chapter wasn't just kind of cool or like, Ooh, it's got vampires in it. So it's like, it's it, it'll edgy. sell the sizzle right sell mm -hmm. the sizzle right i realized that wasn't just like a cool chapter and i love the fact that it's like right in the middle of the book it's almost like mm -hmm. the linchpin of the book i didn't realize how not only was i dead on with that but i didn't realize until it started happening that as you explain what these entities are doing you can perfectly explain that they're doing it because they're mimicking something mm. biblical. Mm -hmm. They're mimicking the gospel. Mm. They're mimicking the bridegroom coming back to the church. They're mimicking Revelation 3, 20, behold, I stand at the door. And so mm. unbeknownst to me and much to my absolute joy, instead of sitting here for a year and a half glorifying shadow people and hat men and incubuses and all this stuff, I have been able to perfectly transition a whole topic about sleep paralysis into preaching the gospel. And you would think that I would be met with a lot of hostility and being interrupted and cut off or shows not getting, you know, put on the air or whatever. And mm. I found out contrary to everything that the enemy wants us to think that people out there are not hostile. Mm -mm. They are, are curious they're confused this the mm. the the christian yes. and the evangelical and the catholic church have failed to make sense of things and yes. and so people have abandoned it thinking it doesn't make sense or or this or that and i have just marveled at how genuinely curious and interested non-religious people are mm. and how absolutely able they are to not only tolerate but to be fascinated by basically the gospel presentation but it's packaged in this topic 
that everyone is wants answers about. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're willing to listen. And I'm sure there's some of them that in, in the back of their head, they're thinking, Oh, the Jesus crap, here we go. Right. But, mm-hmm. but the, but the fact is, um, a lot of these podcasters, you would think that if you just opened up the broadcasting world to a bunch of novices, that you would just have a lot of people that would be out of their element. Mm-hmm. And I can't even tell you how professional and prepared and objective so many of these podcasters mm-hmm. have been for with me. I mean, we really do have an amazing corner in history where the mic has finally been handed over to to the deplorables. Yep, to the people, <laughs> and, yeah. And a lot of us have a lot to say. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us aren't as kind of stupid and simple-minded as the the people that used to own the mics think we are. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thrilled with with where we're at now in our, you know, at the same time we're we're getting restricted and we're getting shadow banned and we're getting cut off and we're losing freedoms of speech. But I think that that's a testament to how Mm. powerfully effective a lot of this communication has been. Yeah. Well, and I I think a lot of these Christians standing up and just saying, you know what, we're not going to be harnessed anymore. We're not going to be muzzled anymore. I think a lot of these people are these podcasters that I've run into or met or interacted with or people like yourself. It's been just basically a lack of fear anymore. Like Mm -hmm. you were talking about at the very beginning where you had this great anxiety come over you with the book and all of those different things. And I think that's, that's the, that's the ticket is what do you do with that anxiety? What are we Mm -hmm. doing with that fear? And are we saying, are we saying that we can't do this because we're not qualified or whatever else, which which we've come to find out is just white noise that they put in our head, right? This is white noise saying you're not good yeah. enough is, right. is the devil's way of saying you, you shouldn't look in there or you shouldn't do that because that's, that's scary. And, and yeah. we don't want to be scared, you know, and it's that fear that keeps everybody from looking at demons in the face or, or, or doing those things because they forget, right? That greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We we forget that, but I think we're waking up to that again, right? We're remembering that we have nothing to fear that if we put on the full armor of God and we, and we invoke the name of Jesus in everything that we do, because that's where all of our authority comes from, then we can talk about these things because yeah. because our internet doesn't shut off anymore like it used to right yeah. or our things <laughs> things don't mess up like they used to when we first started doing this it was it was hectic it was crazy our episode with you was garbage it was terrible mm. and it was so much that we had to piece together and edit and all of those different so things bad. but we got it out because we were <laughs> persistent you know, mm-hmm. and we weren't taking mm-hmm. no for an answer. And I'm not saying that to pat us on the back. I'm saying is that's what it takes is that persistence. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. You know, at first, when every single show without fail that I did behind the scenes had tech issues, mm-hmm. you know, you listen to a podcast and you're like, there's Vicky talking for 30 minutes. There's Vicky talking for an hour. Mm-hmm. A lot of those podcasts, a lot of those podcasts was two, two and a half, three hours yes. of my time between the mic shutting off and us getting new Zoom yep. links and yep. starting over and the, it didn't record mm-hmm. and and all that. But what started out as sort of uh, anxiety 
turned into almost this joy mm. that every time it happened, it was like, wow, mm. we must really be onto something here. Mm-hmm. We, we, we must really be talking about stuff that they don't want us to talk about if they're trying mm-hmm. this hard. And so then I started paying attention and writing down whenever there was tech issues, I would write down what was the last question they asked me. And I found mm-hmm. a lot of um, continuity between when those tech issues would, would come on. And so that allowed me to hone in on very specific prayers. So I would say before a podcast to my prayer team, if they ask this, this, or this, you know, uh, so I didn't just say like, pray for the tech. I would say, you know, mm. pray that when they ask who are these entities or what do they want or what's their agenda that Satan would be bound and that his mm. little minions would, you know, lose, lose, they'd be all thumbs and can't hit the switches. Right. And so mm-hmm. yeah. um, it sort of kind of became this little like arm wrestling match behind the scenes that I was thoroughly enjoying that nobody else really gets to, to get it, to be in on the joke, <laughs> but it was all like, I would get done and I would go from, you know, people asking like, how did it go from, Oh, it was so frustrating. It took twice the time because mm-hmm. of the tech issues and my zoom wouldn't work. And I got to do this. It, it turned into how did your podcast go? I'm like, it was awesome. We had tech issues like through the whole thing. Like it was great. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, we've even coined a whole new phrase, which is, you know, you know, when you're over the target is when you're being messed with, right? We have uh-huh. this, this whole new thing that everybody understands. Now we all say that. And that's mm. the truth is, you know, when you're over the target is when they're messing with you. Mm-hmm. And you, you can say that now on social media and everywhere and everybody knows what that means. But that wasn't the case before. It, it was more right. of, you know, you're over the target when you disappear. Oh, <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. But now they're, we're like, we're so big and there's such a huge movement that there yeah. isn't you would have to take out half of society or more right now because it's this overflowing mass that they they just can't get a handle of. And it makes me laugh because they have had their (laughs) thumb on this for so long that uh, it just makes me laugh. That's what you You know, the law of unintended consequences goes both ways, right? Mm -hmm. And what I love about this is Somewhere in a celestial boardroom, these little minions got together at their boardroom table and came up with the greatest mind control idea they could possibly think of. And they're like, we're going to we're going to start a Borg collective. We're going to start this hive mind. There you go. And, and they'll all be puppets on our strings. And it's like <laughs> what they didn't intend was we as believers and researchers have also formed a collective mind. And now we have all these tools that you created to bring us down initially. And now instead of knowing 20 people or a hundred people in your little town, we now can connect with people all over the world. We can, we can share notes, we can teach each other. And the, the, there's a hive mind over here too. And Mm -hmm. instead of using it to control other people or, or make other people afraid, we're using it to set captives free. And mm-hmm. I, I love it. They, I think they yeah. sort of, uh, I think they sort of messed up on, on showing their hand a little bit too much with that one, because I think the believers were like, well, Hey, a, a collective, a collective of information. Okay. Mm-hmm. We Let's can work it. with, we can work with that. Yeah. <laughs> we can work with that. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think Christians have had a hard time working with certain things throughout because they've had help, you know, when it comes to Mm -hmm. like music and they can, you know, they can throw money at concerts. They can throw money at this stuff. So, you know, Christian music's always been kind of, and then you've got Christian movies, which are always kind of, but when you bring it to now where you have like, this is a podcast that we, we run out of our house. And I don't have to have a a really big budget or anything like this to run my mouth. This is it. This is all <laughs> yeah. I have to do. And so you just, you just need to give him a platform and he'll go for days. Yeah. yeah. And so you had it's like cancel me, what? Cancel me how? What are you right? gonna do? Just pull right. my internet connection? Right. Come on. Like, I want to talk to your manager. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's there no go. manager. She's there in, is she's no manager. There. Oh my gosh. Oh now Rick's frozen. Uh-oh, uh-oh, see? Here we go. Here comes the tech I, stuff. All right, all let's right, get into it. All right. <laughs> they want to knock us down. Let's talk about something fringy. That's right. So, Pushing through. So explain to us this epiphany that you had, because I don't think a lot of people know yeah. what you're talking about. Okay. And, and I would love for somebody that spent the amount of time that you've spent uh, diving into it to explain it to me, whether than you know somebody go look it up on Wikipedia, because I think <laughs> you have some insight from the Holy yeah. Spirit. So. Let us have it if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> so what was slowly rolled out to me in my own knowledge was I had this aha moment when I was writing the book and the aha moment came about through much prayer and much fasting. I remember going to my dad several times and saying, I've got all these pieces and I know they connect, but I do not know how, like there's this mm-hmm. big, missing link in the middle. And I always think about this Dilbert cartoon that I had a boss that loved, he had it hanging up in his cubicle and Dilbert's in the boardroom and there's three of those easels with the big pads on it. And on one of them is like a light bulb. And then the last one is um, a big like piggy bank or dollar sign or something. So in other words, we've got this innovative idea. It's going to make tons of cash. And then Mm -hmm. the middle, the middle board is like how you get from A to B or A to C. And the middle board is just like a drawing of a pair of underwear, (laughs) like meaning, meaning like, we don't know, like your guess is as good as mine. I don't know how we're going to make money on this idea. So I I told my dad, I said, I got, I got like, all these ideas and all I got is underwear, man. Like, I don't know where all this connects and oh, all. <laughs> so good. So, uh, he would always be like, we're going to pray right now. And so he, right then and there, you know, he would, he would mm-hmm. pray and, and I would have to fast and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to, I'm going to be skin and bones and starve to death by the time this book is written. I swear, you know, and I mean, it, he just, the Lord really made me work very hard. It wasn't like writing, takes a lot of Mm self-discipline thinking takes a lot of self-discipline and research takes a lot of self-discipline so when you've got all three of those and then on top of it you're having to work extremely difficult to get a word from the lord and like Mm -hmm. and like everything checked off like from from the boss like this is what you're supposed to write so it was very arduous and a lot of warfare a lot of times where i'd sit to write and i would just be overcome with like exhaustion and I'd literally wake up like asleep on my keyboard. And yeah, I mean, it was just, there was some ridiculous things there. So <clears throat> I was trying to make this connection and two things finally came into my mind and they were both of God. Cause I'm not this smart. <laughs> I had this thought pop into my head that back in like 2016, this was about three years prior. I had been at a conference 
and I had heard Zev Parat um, give a talk. <clears throat> and I'm like, I think I took notes in my phone. So I went to my notes and I did a little search and I found the notes and he had talked about threshold covenants. Mm-hmm. And as I'm reading through these notes thinking, this is awesome. You could write a whole book on this, but what does it have to do with sleep paralysis? As I'm reading about all of these thresholds and entities that step over it and blood on the doorpost to protect you from the angel of death coming in and these, these threshold covenants being uh, hospitality rituals and covenanting with the people mm-hmm. that come into your home. And as I'm reading all this, all of a sudden it clicks that anywhere from five to nine times out of 10, depending on who you are and how deep down the rabbit hole with your sleep paralysis experiences you are, Mm. almost every time you wake up in this state of paralysis and you see or sense an entity in your room, it's at the bedroom door. Mm -hmm. And all these firecrackers started going off in my head. I got so excited, but I was still like, this is out of scope. Mm. This is out of scope. Right, Th- right. This is this is just my own personal lifelong fascination with vampires that wants to put it in the book. <laughs> and I'm like, this has, this can't possibly have to do with sleep paralysis. You know, this isn't Count Dracula. This is so stupid. <clears throat> but the more I researched, the more I realized this is something that I realized. We think that. The longer we go in time, the smarter we get. The more sophisticated we get, the more civilized we get. When it comes to spiritual and supernatural things, we actually are getting dumber if we don't have the spirit of God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I found with a lot of this supernatural stuff, this paranormal stuff, this demonic stuff, um, and those are all three completely separate things. Sometimes they overlap, but is that we went from thousands of years ago, going all the way back to the Epic of Gilgamesh, where the Sumerians, then the Akkadians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, these people didn't talk about vampires, shadow men, pat man. I mean, think, think how kindergarten primary level it is when you have a malevolent being in your room and all you can say is, it was a hat man. I mean, that's like the way a three-year-old would explain it. (laughs) I mean, how basic can you get? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, explain to me, you know, you're, you're at the the police officer, you know, (laughs) know, telling like, describe the man who broke into your home. He wore a hat, you know, like how is the, how is the, (laughs) right, right. So So, just a hat. Exactly. So if you go all the way back thousands of years, these things, you could see their faces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You did know what their features looked like. They described them perfectly. Now it's like, what did his face look like? I couldn't see a face. It was a black shadow. Ugh. You know, I saw red eyes. That's about all you'll get. You mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. But back then, they wrote whole epic poems about who these entities were, what their birth certificate names were. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's Lamashtu. Oh, that's that's Lilith, the screech owl, the night demon. And okay. in Psalm 91, we don't even recognize it anymore. Uh, but in Psalm 91, there's at least 
five or six verses where a word that we're just taking as a regular word is actually the name of an entity. You'll find it in the, the, the dictionary of deities and demons. The Pechad, the Medei, these are actual names of entities. And, and there's other ones too. Those are just the two that pop into my mind right, right now. And there's other passages in Isaiah where it'll talk about owls and wolves and whatever. But if you go all the way back and you're in the Geneva Bible or you're in the Septuagint or you're in like rabbinical literature, it's not saying mm -hmm. owls and it's not talking about a zoo here. Uh, right. They're ta they're talking about actual night demons that had names and and it it'll say like the Pachad or or the Lami or the Lamashu or the Lilutu or it, they, they had names. Mm -hmm. So right. so I realized that we have dumbed down and we have romanticized. I mean, if you think Bram Stoker romanticized the vampire, <laughs> and then you fast forward to all this ridiculous twilight nonsense, you know, where everybody's glittering and taking you to prom and all this nonsense, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> we have so romanticized this, but even even this, the succubus, you know, <clears throat> you see these Victoria Angel supermodels in their black wings that go to the floor in their black mm -hmm. underwear right and it, those aren't just fallen angels those are like skyrim succubus night demons that they are mm -hmm. they are dressing up there and and uh, even in like um the shining you know when he's in the room with the with the beautiful woman and then he mm -hmm. catches her in the mirror and she's the succubus mm -hmm. right she's she's mm -hmm. the lilith and so hollywood has really uh, romanticized this and the literary world before it really romanticized it. These night demons are romantic and debonair and they, you know, they, they have perfect British English and it's, it's yeah. so seductive, mm -hmm. you know, and, <laughs> and these passionate kisses just turn into, I'm going to be, you know, your, your eternal boyfriend or, you know, whatever they're trying to get us to believe. But <clears throat> yeah, what if but you break if, up? Come on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, then, then where do you go? But um, if you actually read, you know, the, the Sumerian literature and the epics and the stories about, you know, Anana and, and all of this stuff, these weren't goddesses of love. This wasn't Cupid, you know, poking you in the butt with right. an arrow and you fall in love. Like, these, these goddesses were treacherous. Mm -hmm. There was nothing Dangerous. love. There was nothing loving or romantic, or even lust. Even to say lust is like not. They were bloodthirsty, murderous, mm -hmm. um, and they they would pose however they needed to to get their prey. Some with vinegar, some with honey. Right. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but it, it just it's fascinating to me that the more I talked about it after the book got published, you know how. Moses couldn't split the sea until he got like waist deep in the water. Right, um, right. The waves didn't part for me until the book was published and in print mm -hmm. where my name is mm -hmm. on the cover and researchers and experts who know more than me could come to me and say, you're an idiot and you don't know what you're talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I had to put my, my name on the line there and by faith, just say these things are coming to the threshold. Mm -hmm. And what I originally thought was, they're coming to the threshold because it's like they're like vampires and that's the law of the vampire mm -hmm. they come to the threshold they can't come in unless they're given an invitation and right. then w once they're invited the only way you can get rid of them is i suppose if you die the contracts you know till death you part right mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. the only the only way to undo a contract with a vampire is the deed of the house 
has to change hands. Ownership of the home changes hands. So for quite a while, I'm doing these interviews and I'm like, oh yeah, they really are vampires. That's where we get, it's not even vampire lore. It is like the the lore of the astral realm. Like they mm-hmm. have to have permission and all this. Well, then <clears throat> it got even deeper. Just when I thought it couldn't get like cooler than that, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I realized anytime the enemy is up to something, you have to ask, well, why is he doing this? Why is he wasting so much time and energy doing this? Right. I, and I, I used to think as a kid before I had it figured out, doesn't Satan have better things to do than just scare the crap out of kids? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, little people under the bed, boo, and then mommy, mm-hmm. I'm scared. Like, I mean, don't they got better things to do? And and I, I do think some of these entities are just impish. Like, I do, like, just like there's... Mm-hmm. There's a massive range of personalities here amongst human beings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some of us are sarcastic. Some of us can be catty. Some of us are downright sociopathic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but some of us really like twisting the screws and pushing people's buttons. And, right. and, and so I think it's kind of the same thing. There, there's, there might be, I can only speculate, what if there is a vast um, creativity mm-hmm. amongst the personalities of these mm-hmm. various entities? And what if some of them do want to actually destroy your life and bring you to the brink of madness and, and lead you to suicide and kill you? And they, they, thrive on blood mm-hmm. and what what if some of them are like little children and they're just impish and they like to switch your furniture around and hide your keys and have mm-hmm. people just you know i'm who knows so that was kind of where i was at in my immaturity with like well i guess some of these guys are just little kid entities that just mm-hmm. get their jollies off of like hiding your keys and stuff but mm-hmm. What I, what I started to, to realize as I got deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole in researching this, and again, I really want to give props to, I, I, I've been on probably 100, 150 different podcasts now at this point, and mm-hmm. I, I really do owe a lot of my, 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 it, What's, what's the word I'm trying to think of? My advancement in in the depth of my knowledge on this topic, not to my own research, but to the fact that so many other intelligent people who have also contemplated these things their whole lives have asked questions or who have told me mm-hmm. their stories or who have, what about this? What about that? And so much of my knowledge that has progressed forward in the last year and a half has just been these amazing conversations. Mm. Yeah. Is that, that's that iron sharpens iron. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So what, what started to shift for me about six months ago was why are they coming to the door and doing like mimicking this whole vampire thing? Like, why is that important to them? Like, what does this even mean? Mm. And then just because of all of my research into the occult and my work with SRA and work with through the black and Mm -hmm. stuff with Russ and everything, I I realized they don't have a creative bone in their body. Like they, all they can do is take what God has done or is doing and mimic it 
or mm-hmm. mock it. Like it's all that they right. can do. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, there would be no occult if there was no Bible because they mm-hmm. wouldn't have a script. Mm-hmm. It's, it's their script. Exactly. So I thought, well, what's happening in the Bible that they're mimicking? What, when is Jesus coming to the door and asking to be invited in? And I was mm. like, oh. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll bring you to two mm. places. The one, everybody already has it in their mind, and they're already quoting it, Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door and lets me in, mm. I will come in and eat with him and sup with him, whatever. Now, some very interesting things. We know from John 10 that the good shepherd comes in through the front gate mm-hmm. because if he was to come in anywhere else, he'd be a thief or a robber. So here we have Jesus knocking on a door and we have to do three very intentional things with our mind, will, and emotions mm. before he comes in. And once we let him in, the inference is that he steps over the threshold. And once he steps over the threshold, there's a covenant because when it says that he's going to sup with us, mm. that infers the breaking of bread. Mm. And in Semitic cultures and in the language and culture of the scriptures, if you broke bread with someone, you were covenanting with mm. that person. I will lay down my life for you. You yep. are like yep. a bloodborne son. Mm. <clears throat> and so this makes sense of some obscure scriptures like, don't even eat with a non-believer because hmm. you're covenanting with them. Yeah. And mm-hmm. this is a salt. This is the salt covenant. And because we don't want to just eat a spoonful of salt, cause that'd be gross. Bread is the carrier of salt. That's how we can in- intake salt. And mm-hmm. it's the salt, it's the salt covenant. And the thing with um, the salt is it is a less gory, more civilized, it's the poor man's blood covenant mm, because okay. the people, the people that were doing the blood covenants had fatted calves and they had wealth and they had animals and yeah. the poor mm. people, they, they could, they could do the salt. They could make a loaf of bread and salt and blood are both major components of our, of our body. And if we were to be stripped yep. of either one, we would die. So salt is just a poor man's blood covenant. Mm. So when sense. it says that Jesus knocks at the door and we, if we even hear it, we have the spirit. Mm. If we get up off our lazy butts and answer the door to see who it is, then we've showed some initiative. Mm. Mm-hmm. And if we open the door and invite him in, it shows our free will. Mm. That means he steps over the covenant. We've invited him in. He's been given permission. And once he's over the threshold, he breaks bread with us, which means I will never leave you or forsake you. You are now like a blood-born son or daughter. And if anything comes to harm you, I will lay down my own life to protect you. Mm. And he salt covenanted with the disciples at the Last Supper. The last, mm. the last promissory note that Jesus gave to us as believers before he died at that Last Supper was... I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lay down my life for you. 
and then I'm going to come back for you, which is the salt covenant. That's the salt covenant, which is why Judas, who broke the salt covenant, was the one who dipped in the dish, remember? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Th- this was Passover. So you got to think the bread at this point in time was not real tasty because it didn't have any leaven in it. And so it was like flatbread. It was yeah. not tasty. And so they would have fish sauce because fish is very salty. And so if they dipped their, their bread in this sauce, it would become salty and it would become tasty. So when when when, when Jesus dipped that bread in the dish, what what we would understand if we understood the culture mm-hmm. is this is a salt covenant now. He's just put salt on that bread. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Judas selling Jesus out for the 30 pieces and Judas kissing him in the garden, mm-hmm. he had already betrayed Jesus before he left that upper room mm-hmm. because he he took the bread and ate it, which means I'll lay down my life for you. Yeah. I will mm-hmm. never betray you. Mm-hmm. And Judas, immediately after he ate that bread, Satan entered him. Mm. And, you know, it always starts, we know from James, that it really isn't Satan who tempts us. He takes what's already in our hearts and he turns it into a temptation. Mm. Um, What's already in, yes. So, Satan uh, energized Judas at that moment to do what he had wanted to do the whole time. And Mm. I'm just speculating here, but if you read in context... Before that, Jesus is explaining to his dense disciples, tonight, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to le- I'm leaving you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Don't, I, he was basically saying, I'm going away. Mm-hmm. Now, the disciples that loved him, Peter, John, they were devastated over this news. Right. Peter was like, no, certainly, Lord, get behind me, Satan, right? Mm-hmm. Peter and John were mourning because they understood what he said. But this is what was in Judas's heart. Judas wanted to be on the inside of the influencers club. He wanted to be riding on the coattails of a powerful rabbi who had influence and power and that guy was going to become king and overthrow rome and he was going to be given a crown and Mm -hmm. power and glory and he was going to be one of the inner circle when judas's dreams shattered in that moment when he realized jesus's kingdom was going to come thousands of years later and that he was actually going to die like a weak little sheep. Mm-hmm. I think Judas in that moment felt embarrassment. Mm. I think he felt disappointment. Yep. I think he felt duped. Yeah. And I think that rage boiled inside of him and he wanted to dissociate from this whole situation. And so he ran off. He broke the salt covenant. <clears throat> this used to be knowledge. People used to know this. It's it's yeah. fallen out of the church. And mm-hmm. if you if you look at the Da Vinci painting, I think it's Da Vinci. I'm not I'm not real big on art. I don't know a lot about art. But <clears throat> um, Judas is the guy grabbing the the money, the 
like the pieces of silver mm, at the table. Yes. Obviously, Judas probably wasn't dumb enough to take 30 pieces of silver, like betrayal money to this last supper with them and hold it at the table. But <laughs> that, that obviously that's the way the artist portrayed him. So you would all know that's Judas, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So he's holding on to the money. But if you look very closely at his forearm, because his hand is on the table, there is a jar of salt tipped over on the table. Mm. Oh, wow. Because he broke the covenant. He was a covenant breaker, Mm. right? So all that to say, um, Revelation 3.20 is a threshold covenant. We know the Passover is also a threshold covenant. Mm. Right. And... I am going to share something now, and I would love to take credit for it because it just, you, you know, that passage in scripture where the disciples on the road to Emmaus and they, they didn't know it was mm-hmm. Jesus. And then they found out later right. and they ran to tell the others and they were talking to each other and they said, were our hearts not burning within us mm. when we heard him talking? Well, what was he talking about? He was explaining to them where he was in all of the prophecies of the law and the prophets. So in other words, Jesus was saying, I know you all think that there's no mention of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, (laughs) but guess what? I am all over the Torah and the prophets, and I'm now going to lay out for you one book at a time. Every single time Moses or one of the prophets was referring to me, and their hearts burned as they heard it, because up to that point in time, think about it. This is the first century. Mm-hmm. Up to thousands of years of rabbinical teaching and knowledge and tradition, mm. these disciples who walked among Jesus still didn't have any of that figured out. And so he unfolded it, and their hearts were connecting with it and burning within them. And so, all that to say, I had a moment like that myself mm. yesterday. I had the privilege of being at a Skywatch taping. We we live close to the horns and Joe has gotten to be a, such a dear friend of me and my dad's. And so we were there and uh, Carl Gallops and Zev Perot were on the panel and Zev started speaking about threshold covenants. And obviously that's a hot button with me. Right. So I was like, Oh, he's talking about threshold covenants. Well, then I had this aha moment. He's He's who I got it from to begin with. But it, it had been so many years ago, I had forgotten. And I'm like, oh, he's where I got it from. So I immediately felt this like, I wanted to just go up and hug him. Like, because mm-hmm. he had opened the scriptures to me. Mm-hmm. And ever since you, you I... full circle. Ever since I connected that that threshold covenant, I see it now all over scripture. And it it's so amazing. And so I was just on the edge of my seat the whole time mm-hmm. as he was talking. So this is something that he said yesterday. And I just have to share it with everybody. I, I cannot keep silent. So he <laughs> he was talking about Passover. And this was not a new thing. This was extremely day-to-day in Jewish and pagan culture. Mm. They they would put blood on the doors, and it it was a the door was the altar of their homes back then. And sacrifices and um Threshold covenants and hospitality covenants. This this was done all the time. So when when they were all out there painting their doors with blood, nobody would have walked by and said, what are they doing? Like, it would have been yeah. completely mm-hmm. normal in that culture. It would have been known, yeah. Exactly. So the the lintels, like, and the threshold and everything, like the entire threshold, uh, 
was painted in blood. So you've got like basically blood on all four sides creating this, you know, rectangle. And another thing that Zev uh, clarified, you know, Hebrew is obviously his native language. And he said that the mezuzah is not just the little thing that you stick on your door that has Deuteronomy 6, 4 in it, the Shema passage. Mm -hmm. Mezuzah in Hebrew means threshold. Mm. It's the whole thing, mm. right? Mm. So when he said that the blood was on all four aspects of the door, that if you take that imagery to the cross, and you now have a Messiah who rather strangely referred to himself as a door in John 10, mm -hmm. you have got blood coming out of his forehead because of crown of thorns. You have his arms stretched out with blood on both arms. And then you have the feet that the blood points are on all positions. Mm -hmm. And you now have the door with the blood. Mm -hmm. And if you enter through that door and only that door, the angel of death, the second one that comes the second time around, mm. passes over mm. because you stepped over that threshold and are now within the under the protection of the head of that household, which is Jesus Christ, who imputes his righteousness to you. And so it blew my mind. And I'm like, just I when just I thought, goosebumps. <laughs> I know, just when I thought that this threshold stuff couldn't, it is so integral. And so I always tell people if, if this is lighting up all of your 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 lights. Um, I've got four books where you can read about this. Uh, three of them are by H.C. Trumbull, T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L. -L, and it's a trilogy of books. It's The Salt Covenant, The Blood Covenant, and The Threshold Covenant. Mm. And um, Trumbull was a Christian. In fact, he was the great-grandfather of Elizabeth Elliot. Mm. And... Um, the, but he's not writing theological books. His trilogy is, uh, he wrote it at the very end of the 1800s in around 1889. And believe it or not, these threshold covenants with blood on the door, this stuff was, was still happening all over the world until the mid-1800s. Wow. But by the end of the 1800s, it was falling out of, of practice because it was mm. gruesome and you know, we were becoming more sure. centralized more in cities. And yep. So he said that he wanted to write so that this wouldn't be forgotten to the ages. Mm. Uh, the fourth book is Zev's new book is called blood Alliance. <clears throat> and he talks specifically about the threshold covenants <clears throat> and how it pertains to our salvation, how it pertains to Yeshua, how it pertains to the cross. And mm. I, I was so delighted when I heard him say this yesterday, cause I've said it on podcasts once you understand the threshold covenant, you will see it everywhere mm. in scripture. It's, yeah. it's, it's everywhere. <clears throat> so that's like the whole Revelation 320. The other one, though, that I really want to share with you, because this was so, you know, there's, there's a salvation issue. Mm. You know, there's coming to Jesus Christ and receiving him. But then there is, where do you go from there? Mm -hmm. sure. And how do you avoid that becoming just a religion or a set of rules or legalism yep. or fear-based, like I got to do this and I got to do that? 
<clears throat> how once you've received him is there intimacy hmm. right right this this is another threshold <clears throat> song of solomon 5 2 of all bizarre places <clears throat> we know of course that solomon's writing this to one of his brides right but it's it's it has a dual um metaphorical analogous sort of a meaning the double meaning is that jesus is the bridegroom and we're the bride that he's coming back for so <clears throat> in song of solomon 5 2 you have got a bride who's already gone to bed and i am going to suggest that she is in that altered state of sleep paralysis now mm. Just because you're in an altered state of sleep paralysis where you're half in and half out of sleep doesn't mean there's demons there. Like, like I'm talking now about what the demons are mimicking. Mm. Okay. Mm. <clears throat> it says, depending on your translation, it says that the bride was asleep, but her heart was awake. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, okay. so when the bridegroom knocks on the door, she faintly hears it in her in and out sort of like, you know, stupor, but she can't get up because she is asleep and she is paralyzed, mm -hmm. you know, and in her state of sleep, she's like, I can't get up. And, you know, the, the, the language is very sort of euphemistic there, but if you're really looking into it, um, it's cold and she's likely sleeping naked and she just doesn't want to get out of a cold bed like every other human being in the world when mm -hmm. their alarm wakes up, right? Mm -hmm. So she's just like, oh, I don't want to get up. Uh, so then all of a sudden she shakes awake and she's like, what have I done? I turned away the bridegroom. He was going to come in here and he wanted intimacy with me and I gave up this opportunity to be held and cherished and be told mm -hmm. how much I, I love him. And, and so she quickly gets up and goes out. And this is where a lot of people lose the metaphor. They say, well, yeah, but then when she went out to find him, she got beat up. And, mm -hmm. and I even had someone tell me once, the bridegroom would never beat up the bride. You guys, follow the analogy. She never finds the bridegroom. The bridegroom right. is not the one beating her up. Who beats her up? Who thwarts her from finding Jesus? Mm. The watchman. Mm -hmm. The men who were appointed to protect and to be on guard for the enemy. And I, I think the message there is when we are on our search for the real Messiah, because there's so much lies out there, so much right. subterfuge, oh, yeah. so many false messiahs, so many yep. false doctrines, so much new age, that sometimes the people that are called or ordained to help us find Jesus are the very ones attacking us and beating us up and mm -hmm. making sure we never find him mm -hmm. wittingly or unwittingly. Some of them probably unwittingly. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so what's so amazing about song of Solomon five, two is this is who the sleep paralysis entities are and it's their agenda and it's what mm. they're doing. <clears throat> you can call them shadow men, hat men, incubuses, whatever you want to call them, whatever silly little Hollywood socially engineered man-made little mm -hmm. monster movie name you want to give them. 
they're anti-bridegrooms. Okay, we, mm. we talk a lot about antichrists, but anti-messiah, anti-bridegroom. These things are coming to our rooms at night when we are asleep, but our hearts are awake. And we are in a state of spiritual limbo mm -hmm. where we were created to be receptive mm -hmm. to intimacy with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't mean astral projection. Right. I don't mean anything sexual. I don't. I don't mean we dream about him and he, we wake up with a prophetic dream. Mm -hmm. I just mean that we wake up the next morning having been fully protected from the enemy who comes out at night. Right. We wake up refreshed mm. with our brain fully refragged and our melatonin all in place and nothing out of whack. And we wake up peaceful, well-rested and with joy and anticipation for the next day, because whether our conscious mind remembers it or not, we are resting in him. Mm -hmm. mm. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean that he can't, you know, speak to us in that time or come to us in our dreams or he, like, sometimes he, he sure. likes the bells and whistles too. But if that's what we're looking for, you know, uh, sure. he doesn't always oblige. And there's plenty of uh, impersonators who are very happy to oblige if you're looking sure. for the bells and the whistles. Mm -hmm. So what they're doing is they are beating the bridegroom to the door. Mm. It is the wolf dressed up like grandma, Little Red sure. Riding Hood. Yep. Yep. <laughs> we let this thing in because it's a beautiful being of light. Mm -hmm. And I've never felt so much love in my whole life. And the meaning of the universe is that nothing matters, you know, and everything's just so wonderful, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so you think, well, surely this is Jesus because I I'm feeling all of these vibrations in my body and these tinglings and I'm having this out-of-body experience and uh you know it's not always ugly scary things that are appearing sometimes it's it's yeah. right. angelic sometimes it's beautiful sometimes it's a familiar spirit so it's grandma or your child that passed away or someone that you're going to trust and all the emotions are going to go with it and we're going to let this bridegroom over the threshold and then what we don't understand because no one's teaching it and we've fallen out of this sort of knowledge, as soon as that thing is invited and it steps over the threshold, mm. you are in a covenant with it that can only be broken if the ownership of the home changes hands. Mm. And this is where the evangelical church in America has got something right, but gotten it really wrong. Mm. When we invite Jesus into our heart, it's not because we're lonely and we need a best friend the rest of our lives or, mm -hmm. you know, we need someone to make sure we don't get in a car wreck and we find parking spots and all this stuff. And yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> it's not a free pass for an easy life or, you know, any of this stuff. What we're doing on a deeply theological level when we invite Jesus into our heart is we're asking him to step over the threshold. And when we submit to him through obedience, mm. by dying to the old man mm. and living anew, what happens in covenants mm. 
when someone dies. Something new is born. The covenant's broken. It's, yeah, null and void. It's till death do you part. You are no longer in a marriage covenant when one of the spouses dies. Yep. So yeah. the reason we're being called to die to self isn't just because it means we can't drink and smoke anymore, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, what it means to die to self means when we die, and in, in baptism we're doing that metaphorically, what we're saying is every betrothal contract that I managed to get myself weaseled into mm -hmm. before this moment, null and void, hmm. ripped up, torn up. All this, I, I sold my soul to the devil and I can't get it back. Yeah, you can. Mm -hmm. But you got to hear his voice, walk to the door, look through the people, open the door, invite him in, and then partake in a covenant with them. So there's a lot of stuff you have to do. So 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 if we if we get ourselves into these situations where we're Christians, but we're still having sleep paralysis night after night after night after night after night, and nothing we do tries. And sometimes the more we try, the more ticked off these things get, and sort of it escalates and gets worse, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that for a second or two. <laughs> There's a couple things. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the good one that everyone wants to hear first. Okay. <laughs> it is possible that you are under the will and the protection and the permission of God undergoing a very intentional spiritual warfare type boot camp. Because you are being prepared for a time when we are going to need people who can face these entities without fear. Mm. And uh, David had to kill a bear and a lion before he got to kill the giant. And so mm. for some people, sleep paralysis is the bear and the giant. It's their practice. They're, they're testing their armor and we're, they're learning how to face these things without fear. And they're learning how mm -hmm. to wield their weapons offensively rather than defensively rather than fear get away get away get mm. away like, in mm -hmm. the name of jesus get out there's a difference between wielding the sword offensively and defensively you know right. are are you going to be balled up in the fetal position on on the battlefield hiding under your shield or are you going to be storming that that line of battle like david who ran at at goliath there's a difference mm -hmm. <laughs> um so that's like a best case scenario. Like maybe you're enduring more and more of this because you are being trained. Hmm. Um, but everybody wants to be the Job in the Sea of Peters, right? Everybody wants mm. to say, I'm being tested because of my faith. And, you know, oh, yeah, right. uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a prayer warrior, so I have a target on my back. You know, I, we all love to say this you're kind right. of stuff. It, it makes us yep. feel great. Yep. But, yep. but the fact is, most of us, if we really came face to face with these demons, you know what I mean? It's like, ugh. we have to stop thinking in terms of, we have to stop using language like, I am a Christian. Okay. Mm. That doesn't mean anything anymore. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah. Yep. What you have to understand. And like when you're reading things like Psalm 91, God fights for and protects people who are in covenant with yeah. him okay 
And not every Christian is in covenant because covenant doesn't mean you pray to prayer and you go to mm -hmm. church and you sit there bored stiff thinking about your lunch. And mm -hmm. then the rest of the week you do whatever you want. And there's no difference between you and your friends mm -hmm. in what you listen to and where you go and what you laugh at and how you dress. Like that's not a covenant, you know, think, think of being a gigolo being versus being married, right? There's a huge yeah. difference, huge difference be yeah. between a guy that's out there playing the field every night of the week and someone who's faithful in a marriage, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Psalm 91, we have a threshold covenant in there as well. And nobody seems to really preach. I'd love to hear a whole bunch of sermons on nothing but Psalm 91, nine, because right. we, we hear everyone knows Psalm 91 and it's the soldier's prayer. And it, it, anybody who's scared or who has enemies or who thinks they're going to lose their job or whatever that oh, 90 a thousand may fall at my side ten, you know right mm -hmm. we, we know all those verses out of context yep. and so you look at all of the promises in psalm 91 almost every verse in that scripture is a promise of strength or protection or in cloaking invisibility you know all this yep. stuff you've got you're hiding under the shelter of his wings no evil will befall you. No plague will come near your tent. Angels will hold you up in their in their arms so you won't strike your foot against a stone. You're going to trample on lions and tigers and cobras, and he's going to give you long life, and he's going to answer you when you call upon him. He's going to rescue you. He's going to deliver you. Like You won't fear the terror by night, the pestilence, the dark. Uh, a thousand may fall at your side. Like This stuff is who. Yep. in their right mind doesn't think Psalm 91 isn't the greatest thing that was ever written. Mm -hmm. Like it's amazing. Yeah. But that chapter is not a promise for people who go to church, mm -hmm. people who pray to prayer, mm -hmm. people who say they're a Christian. Psalm 91, nine says, because he has made Jehovah his dwelling place mm -hmm. because means this is why so this means this person heard me knocking got up looked through the people opened the door welcomed me in and broke bread with me mm. and mm. we all know christians and we've all probably known times in our own life where we've heard him knocking and we've said come on in but then something's come on TV that we really don't want Jesus watching with us. So we say, hey, see you later. Okay, why don't you go to the store and pick up some milk and eggs and I'll leave mm -hmm, the door open mm -hmm. for you and you can come back. <clears throat> yeah. The, the person who has made Yahweh their dwelling place. When Jesus steps over the threshold, his own shed blood that came at a price. We were bought with a price. Mm. His own blood gets painted on that door. And he shuts the door and he locks it. And that house gets surrounded by angels. Mm -hmm. And nobody comes or goes out of that shelter ever again. Mm -hmm. That door is permanently locked. You're not going in and out at leisure. And neither is Jesus. And so if you want the promises and the protection and the safety and the power that comes from Psalm 91... You got to throw away that key and you got to stop mm -hmm. throwing Jesus out every time you get mad or he offends you, you know? And so this is harsh and this is where it gets harsh. Yeah. There are people where it will take them years to get rid of their sleep paralysis. Mm. And I don't want them to hear it's because they're not really a Christian or they don't take mm -hmm. their covenant seriously. 
or they've got some secret sin they've got to give up and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, sometimes we are, we are embedded in so many spiritual contracts. We can't even get to the bottom of them quick enough. And mm -hmm. we need the Holy Spirit to reveal the source of some of those things. Some of them will be obvious. Uh, everybody thinks, you know, I slept around before I was married. I smoked pot. I played with the Ouija board. Okay. That's great. You know, and get rid of your Iron Maiden albums and pray your little online prayers about, you know, you, know, you can do, you can do all this stuff and it, it might give you some peace for a little bit, but if there's deep besetting sins, mm -hmm. if you're holding a grudge, if you are bitter or jealous, if you, if you feel that God has dealt stingily with you because your friends have this and this and this and you don't. Ooh, that's a big one. If you have anything like that, um, you'd be shocked some of the, the strongholds that give permission to these things. Yeah. It's not always the big spooky ghost story stuff that everybody thinks it does. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of people that hang out and conjure things in graveyards and they, they listen to their heavy mouth. They do all sure. sorts of stuff and they've never had sleep paralysis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you, you got to think beyond that kind of stuff and you might need to have the Holy Spirit help you find the source and there might be more than one source and some mm -hmm. of the sources might not be your fault. Mm -hmm. It could be... Um, a parent or a grandparent. It could be ancestral. It could be mm -hmm. bloodline. Like it generational. Could be generational. It could be yeah. um, some of these secret societies. They they pledge their entire bloodline from that point forward over to these mm -hmm. things, and those things need to be to be broken. And so there's all sorts of things. Yeah. So, uh, Vicky, this and, is a very uh, it's a very hard message for a lot of Christians because they they begin to think that they're not doing enough or they're not. But I think the, the message that you're trying to paint is that you, it's not that you have to do more. It's that what you're doing needs to be genuine. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and oh, I think yes. that's the disconnect sometimes as people think, well, I'm, you're just making fun of me because I, and we start to get defensive as Christians and we start to push mm -hmm. back. And when the reality is, is we need to take ownership. This is really yeah. what Jesus came to tell us, right, is that we yes. need to take ownership for our own failings, our own things yeah. that we've done, the, our own sins that, that have caused these sacrifices to have to go on yeah. for years and years and yeah. years. These are the things that, that we've brought on, right, is, is all of these things. And, and we've, yeah. we've had some deceptions and we've had some things that have caused mm -hmm. us to go down. And these generational curses that you're talking about, you know, we don't talk about those enough. What mm -hmm. are we doing today right. that's causing our children to have these uh, hardships later on because we decided that we wanted to do something that was outside of the will of God. And, yeah. and so we, it's not that anybody's attacking these Christians that are just pew sitting and not really doing it. It's, it's, we're trying to encourage people to understand that a lot of these contracts and these thresh, threshold things that you're, you're speaking about, this is just how the supernatural works. These are the mm -hmm. laws. And, yes. and we can fight against them. We can kick and scream. We can say that we don't like it all that we want. The <laughs> fact of the matter is, is that it's the law. 
of the world that we live in because this world was built by someone other than us. Mm-hmm. And when we try to say, you know, I, I want to, I want to do this sin or I want to do that sin because I don't think it's that bad. That really doesn't matter to God. What matters yeah. to God is that you're in covenant with him. And like yeah. you said, coming through the door and, and communing with us, that's what we need to be doing. And I think yeah. a lot of people get caught up in the going to church and I got to check this box and check right. that box. What we're saying is, is there's so much more to it that you do want to experience. Jesus yeah. is so much more than church on a Sunday morning. There's there's an everyday relationship mm-hmm. that you get to, and I say yeah. get to on purpose, you get mm. to have with him. And the mm. maker of this world that we live in, the one that knows all the rules, that understands the contracts, the breaker of contracts. The architect. Uh, yeah, he can mm, come in and one. just smash all of these contracts and but you have to ask you have to do the research you have to think about it so that was well this is the biggest thing is that it has to be talked about and i think that's that's the the biggest point for people that they should understand is this stuff is not talked about enough no like for whatever reason we as a christian collective have decided that this is this is out of bounds. Like this is weird. Mm. This is too much. You know, we, we can't talk about this, but it's absolutely has to be talked about, has to be shared. Mm. Yeah, it does. You know, we have come to this unfortunate place in Christianity where freedom is being defined as freedom to sin. Really? Mm. Right. Cause, cause of all this grace, uh, the freedom that Jesus is offering us, is freedom from this bondage, freedom Mm -hmm. from the sin that grace is the freedom to not sin because you don't want to do it anymore. Right. right? Uh, Freedom from these contracts. And so, you know, there's so much presumption and uh, negativity associated with certain biblical concepts. So like, Mm -hmm. for example, if I say the will of God, Hmm. people are like, automatically like, well, certainly he's going to want a bunch of crap I don't want, you know, don't send me to Africa, you know, this kind of right, mentality, right? 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 The Jonah. <laughs> he, yeah, yeah. Like all these poor teenage girls, like in their teens and 20s were, well, I'm not engaged yet. So I guess he wants me to be a missionary and be a nun, you know, like we have, we always think that the will of God is this stingy, I want every single thing from you and you're going to just be happy someday in eternity that you sacrificed everything and had no fun and no joy in life. And, Mm -hmm. but what if when I said the will of God, what I meant was his will, like everything that I was going to inherit. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, Oh, you mean the will of God? Like I'm going to go into a lawyer's yeah. office and have all this stuff, right? And so I, I think the same thing with with all this stuff that we think. And I'm playing Rick on what you were saying there. It's not about legalism, which is bondage. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, coming up with a formula or a hundred things you need to do before you go to bed to avoid sleep paralysis is not mm-hmm. freedom. It's more bondage, and it creates anxiety, and it it can also be a form of invitation because when you have anxiety that's low level fear and that's what Mm -hmm. draws these things to begin with so so it's not coming up with a thousand things to do before and oh gosh i prayed over 500 things before i went to bed but i forgot to pray about this thing and so oh no like um 
the freedom that we have and all of these things that God wants to rescue us from these, the, the source of the sleep paralysis that he wants to reveal to you. It's not to load a burden on you or to make you feel shame or to say like, Oh, look what a horrible sinner you are, or to put you in a place of vulnerability where you have to go into a pastor's office and admit every single horrible thing you've ever done to get freedom from this. And mm-hmm. no, what, it, why he wants to show you all of this stuff is so that you can take a blowtorch to all of it and hmm. and have victory over it. The, yes. the, the, the end result of everything in the law and in the gospel and in the will of God, the end is always for our freedom and for our victory and for our prosperity and for our joy. And if you're a born-again Christian, and your definition of joy and happiness is getting to do whatever you want. And hmm. I'm going to hold thing. I'm going to hold back part of my life or heart from Jesus. Cause I want to drink smoke and swear and party and go to clubs. Right. Then you have to evaluate what that betrothal covenant you willfully entered into really means to you. Mm-hmm. And is that the same thing that the Bible means when it promises protection and prosperity upon people who are in this covenant when you say, yeah, I'm in that covenant, are you on the same page? Are you literally on the same page with what <laughs> Jesus means when he says, I want you to die to the old self and mm-hmm. let me step over the threshold. I will tear up the deed and all yeah. of these vampires will no longer be able to cross the threshold. And if they even try, they're going to meet with the doorkeeper because this is my place now. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, there's just so much beauty in, in this threshold covenant, but it's a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's great once you get there, but it is really hard killing the flesh. Mm. And that's what has to happen before right. this, this, this happens um, before yeah. you're really, you're really there. And that's what it all comes down to is making war with the flesh. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and Paul talks about it. Why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? Oh, whoa, yeah. what wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? Like, we should all feel that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we should all feel that tension. And if we don't feel that tension, we're not thinking enough about that concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I would agree wholeheartedly. And if we're not thinking that way, then we're, I, would, I would venture to say that we're, we're not on the path. You know, because I think a lot of people think that when you get saved at church and you pray that prayer you were speaking of, then that's it. You're you're saved, which I which I believe you are justified. Yes, that's but, yeah. but there, but there is a process of sanctification of 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 fixing all of these things that have happened before that, whether they've been yeah. intentional sins, mm-hmm. whether they've been mm-hmm. um, these contracts as you spoke of. You know, maybe your parents were masons and they and they. Pl- pledged your whole bloodline to Satan. Like these are things that can be fixed. These are very specific things that can be fixed, but we have to realize that you have to do the work. You have to, you have to do the work. Jesus is wanting to meet you. He's not wanting to continue to chase you. He will. And he does. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. he is really good at having to chase people around. Um, But, but he wants to meet you and he just wants you to turn around. That means to repent. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the first thing he says when he, when he starts his ministry, turn around and, and, and stop doing those things that you're doing. I'm standing right behind you. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been chasing you this whole time. So 
This has been such a great episode. I'm so glad that you got to go through all of that for us. I know that we have much more that we would love to explore with you. Um, but I know that for a lot of Christians out there, this is, this is a big burden for us, right? This is the heaviness of, of the covenant. And it should be, it should be a heaven, a heaviness of covenant that you're in with the creator of the, of the world, right? That should mean something to us. Um, but, but it's also, uh, you know, the Bible says his burden is light. And, yes. and, and we have to realize uh-huh. that even though the, the covenant is heavy, his burden is light and he's not going to give us more than we can handle. He's just asking mm-hmm. us to walk through the fire. Like you said, with your book, he's, you have mm-hmm. to take those steps. You have to walk through the fire. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to slay a dragon uh, before uh, you get these big responsibilities that God is giving out right now. Hand over fist, by the way, he's giving out uh, all kinds of gifts and and things right now. So with that, Vicki, where can people find you to learn more about you and your message and the things that you're doing out there in the world? Yep, absolutely. So uh, you can find me at VickiJoyAnderson.com. That's V-I-C-K-I, Vicki with an I. And all my podcasts that I've been on is on the media tab. You can email me through that, um, upcoming shows or conferences I'm at. Uh, you can get me at Vicky Joy Author on Instagram, and you can DM me on there or follow me on there. Uh, the book, They Only Come Out at Night, Exposing the Dark Weapon of Sleep Paralysis, is available on lamarzuli.net. Mm. And uh, oh, what else? What else? I think that's everything. And yeah, we'll uh, put all that stuff too so that, so that people have the links to you. Awesome. Wonderful. <laughs> Vicki, you're such a joy to uh, hang with and to mm-hmm. speak with. Uh, we, you know, your, your knowledge and the amount of time and effort that you've put into uh, learning what you know and, and your mm-hmm. willingness and, you know, just your ability to come on and speak so well to, to our audience. We're just mm-hmm. so thankful and we, we're th- happy that we can call you a friend and uh, mm-hmm. you're welcome here on this podcast anytime. Awesome. Yes, yes, yes. Thank All you right, guys with that, so we're going to take off. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you again, guys. This has been That's So Fringy Podcast, and we will see you guys on the next one. Bye, Bye. for now. Mm-hmm.